0: My name is Brad King. You're listening to the Downtown Writer's Jam Podcast. Today, we are going to talk with Casey Ross, who is a local playwright, writer. Just finished producing uh, something at the Indie Fringe during the Fringe Festival. I assume it's the Indie Fringe. Actually, I have no idea. It's at the Fringe Festival. Um, She is of the folks that we've interviewed in this new iteration of the podcast in the last... Um, couple weeks, is probably the most similar to me in the way that she approaches writing, which doesn't mean anything to you, but is fascinating to me. Uh, We talked a lot about the ways in which writing communicates or is a way to work out um, the shit that happened earlier in life, which thematically is a thing that's come up repeatedly in these podcasts, but uh, we really delve, uh, delve deeply into Um, her personal life and uh, where the writing came from and why it's so important um, for her to be able to, to craft what she does on stage. Um, What is different is obviously as a playwright, she mediates it through a director and actors and an audience. And as as a writer, someone that does books and things like that, like I don't give a shit about any of that stuff. Like it is not a concern that I have. Although I freak out every time I read in public. Um, for those reasons because that feedback uh, is never exactly what I want it to be like I craft the words on the page to do what I want them to do so actually hearing the way people respond to them is uh, just the fucking worst thing in the whole world but it's a really uh, this interview is at times difficult um, talking about uh, her childhood and and those things um, and the ways in which it shaped her writing so there's no reason for me to go on without anything else here's my conversation with casey ross on Facebook. I don't know how that happened. I'm sure somebody said I should know you, so I just sent you a friend request. Right. But um, Are you from Indianapolis, or did I, you accidentally end up here?
1: I'm from Indy. I used to tour um, in a production right after college, so I was gone for a few years, and then I came back. So,
0: How long have you been here? My life.
1: Um, I've been back since 2013.
0: So just a couple yeah. of years. So um, where'd you go to school at? High I went school. to
1: Hanover. Oh, and I went to high school at Cathedral.
0: Okay, so wh- I'm not from here. So what is that?
1: Uh, cathedral is a Catholic school.
0: Yeah.
1: Um, a Catholic college preparatory academy. So I think by the title alone, you're getting kind of the idea that it's uh, <laughs> a little stringent. Yeah. Um, but yeah, really good school on top of a lovely hill. Looks like a college, kind of a mini Notre Dame, if will. Yeah. Complete it, with fighting Irish.
0: <laughs> it, so you grew up Catholic. I did. <laughs> uh do you have brothers and sisters?
1: I do not. Really? I'm the only child.
0: That is a, that is a rarity in a Catholic <laughs> family. So, um, you grew up here in Indianapolis and when do you start like do you, are you writing and reading as a kid? Like are you that kid or does that come later? Like what were you like as a kid?
1: I've always done acting and performance and so that was kind of my gateway drug into writing. Mm-hmm. Because, believe it or not, for someone who had stage parents, I I do not like to be on stage. And so I was trying to find really another outlet to to satisfy the stage parents. And I started just writing little scripts. Um, Found out that I like improv and comedy as well. So I started writing for other troupes like really early, like 10, 11. Yeah. I was sending in sketches to people. so. So
0: tell me, so your mom and dad both do theater.
1: Um, my mom is a modeling instructor, or was a modeling instructor. She is now a jeweler. Um, dad, I I don't know. Um, I don't know my dad. So
0: So you said stage parents, so that was why?
1: I my, I call my grandmother my parent because I, gotcha. I lived with my grandma and gotcha. my mom my whole life. My mom, I was kind of an accident, hence yeah. why there's only one of me <laughs> in, the, uh, in, the, in the Catholic fam.
0: Did, and was your grandmother then? Did she do theater?
1: She did. She uh, she was an actress. Um she uh, basically I would say she's kind of an Amanda Wingfield type if you get the glass menagerie reference. Uh-huh. Um, been an actress her whole life, whether she's in a show or not.
0: Really. So do you, do, w- did that happen at the house a lot? Like would you guys do that kind of stuff or like how do you think you end- or did you just sort of take it in by osmosis?
1: Uh, I went to a lot of auditions as a kid. Um, they were very early on with the uh, sending me to commercial auditions. So they were
0: sending you to auditions. Yes. So you were a child actress. <laughs>
1: I was. I I was in a children's museum commercial when I was three. Really? So that was my big break. <laughs> Making dolphin noises. So,
0: so when, when did you sort of? Uh, and did it? Was it just around you all the time? So it just became what you did, or was there like some conscious like, oh, this is kind of cool. Um.
1: I, I grew up doing it, and so I mean, I, I just didn't really know anything different. Mm-hmm. Um, but it, it was lucky because I mean, it is truly what I love to do. Yeah.
0: So, so uh, you're doing the the theater stuff when you were? kid. Are you like a uh, like a reading a lot? Or, like in school? Like what kind of kid were you? Were you like the <laughs> actress kid or were you introverted?
1: I was kind of the the nerd. Uh-huh. Um, I always was drawing and writing my own comic books and i was um i was the kid that did get paid to write everybody's paper because I, I write pretty quickly <laughs> i was a prolific writer a lot of it so i i've always been writing down my thoughts be it be it schoolwork or making comic books like like a nerd
0: <laughs> what's the so when did the comic book stuff start
1: always i i've, I've Drawn since I could hold things, so um, like I, I was the kid drawing on the walls, yeah, which yeah. was awesome. I'm sure for my parents. Um, but yeah.
0: What well, so what was so what was the comic book? You clearly did this comic book for a oh, while. Man. Like
1: <laughs> I had I had two. Yeah. My first one when I was little was called Lardine and Buns, and um, it was a very. Uh, clinically obese woman and her dog, and they were tourists, and they were kind of, yeah, and (laughs) Leo Lardo was her boyfriend. Uh Um, So there was that one, and it was kind of more Uh Peanuts-based cast humor, and then my other one that I worked on for a while was called Mindy's Fantasy Band, about a 14-year-old girl who found a magical sword that actually controls rock stars so she could put together her own fantasy band. And it was uh, Pete Townsend of The Who, a folk singer, Brett and I really like, and Boy George, and then Adam Pascal, but no one knew who he was because he was a Broadway star.
0: And when? <laughs> how old are you when you're doing this?
1: Um, I did that one, like, it was an idea when I was like 13, 14, and I revisited it like a couple years ago because I thought it was something that I, I really had an idea, but I I just, I don't know. When did, you start La- a lot of work. when did you
0: start Lardine? Like, how old were you?
1: Lardine when I was, like,
0: eight. So you're, like, drawing, like, and how, like, was there, do you still have them?
1: My mom has all of Lardine and buns. Um, I have all of my, my Mindy's stuff because that was obviously yeah. better better artwork, right. you know, as I got a little older.
0: So you, so you did Lardine, like, a lot. Like, there wasn't just, like, two. Oh, no. <laughs> there was, like, a whole thing.
1: I, hundreds of them. Really? Yeah, and the cast's. The cast grew. Um, Leo got a cat. Like I mean, yeah.
0: <laughs> that's that's the jump the shark moment. That's like adding the little baby to yeah. the family. Like now a well, it was a cat. like when
1: the when the twin babies came yeah. in. I was like, okay, now maybe we've gone too far.
0: <laughs> what was it about? Was there just like something you like? Why do you think you started doing that? Like, not many young kids are like doing a hundred issue comic book. <laughs> um,
1: it was. It was kind of a bonding experience, I think, with my uncle. I'm very close to him, and um, he he's very shy. He has Tourette Syndrome, and it kind of has just made him very introverted, but we would always just crack these jokes and have these hilarious ideas for for stories that could just happen with these characters, and so like, we would draw it on the plane because we took a lot of family vacations and stuff. So it was just something I did with my... Kind of a pseudo dad. Yeah. Because I'm, I'm very close with my
0: uncle. Yeah, and so that became. Did most of those issues come out of like conversations with him? Yeah. yeah. So we now sort of can trace that. Line. Like this <laughs> trace was. It sort of, all. Yeah. So like this was sort of a. Um, uh, a time like a way for you to express yourself and form relationships mm-hmm. with the people that were. Yeah. Like around you. So, um, what – do you start acting in high school? Like, are you?
1: I did. Um, I, I have been acting since three, uh, since that awesome. So like you commercial.
0: kept doing it all, like what professionally mm-hmm. or professionally and yes. school? Um,
1: I did, I did a lot of school plays, obviously yeah. I did every single one that was available to me in my four years, um, carried it through into college. My scholarship was for performance. Um, and I did do some stuff like in the community, um, starting in high school. I did a lot of, uh, Shakespeare in the Park, mm-hmm. um, and, uh. Think I've done anything locally other than fringe in my own company stuff.
0: Yeah. So, so uh, you're in high school and you're acting, but are oh, you doing both professional and school and stuff school at the stuff. same time? Uh, so you sort of identified yourself that way very early, like that was that yeah, was the that thing was, that you, the you thing. wanted to do. <laughs> so then was high school sort of like indifferent to you? Like since you're doing something professionally, like. Were you also involved here? Was that just sort of what you did while you were, because you had to, by law. <laughs> oh, I,
1: our, our teacher, our theater teacher, was um, very, very strict and very uh, genuine to the experience that you're going to get in professional theater. So the school plays mattered to me as much as the other stuff, because, like, really, I didn't understand who was who in the Indianapolis theater community when I was just a high school right. kid. So, like school plays were almost more important because yeah. that's, you know, your friends and your whole little world. <laughs> yeah, yeah.
0: So when do you realize like, oh, this is like, this is the thing I'm going to do. Like, did you know that already in high school that like this I was think, my career? Yeah.
1: I, I knew already. Um, at the time I was still performance heavy. Mm-hmm. And so I thought it was going to be maybe more improv and, and acting was going to be the path. Um, I wrote my first play in college but,
0: so, you weren't really writing so much in high school, like in terms of...
1: In terms of theater, no. Yeah. Um, and in terms of...
0: Outside the comic book, Calling
1: books. myself a writer, yeah.
0: Yeah. So, um, it was college that you sort of began to identify that way? Yes. So, what was the moment where that happened?
1: I had taken every single theater class that my college offered and I was out of credits uh, <laughs> to get my major. And the last thing that was left was beginning playwriting, and I took it, um, and I was, I was at a crossroads because I couldn't really get my double major down. I was a visual arts and theater major, and the visual arts teacher was like, you're not really putting enough time into the art, you're, you're real theater heavy, so you got to make a choice here. And I was really mad about that because, I mean, I've, I've always done visual arts, so like just to kind of have the failure in the department really upset me. So the play I wrote was Two Bickering Artists, and it just, it, it was fueled by an upset chunk of my life, and the playwriting teacher was like, this is only a 10-minute scene, but I think you have a whole show here with these two characters, and ever since then, I've been just constantly writing plays. Like, it just, I don't know, it made sense.
0: Yeah. Did it, <laughs> um, I mean, obviously, we've just met, so I don't want to psychoanalyze you, but I hear, like... I do this thing with my uncle as a sort of bonding experience and then I get to college and this thing happens and it angers me and so that fuels Mm -hmm. this thing like you were sort of melding these life into your art like right from did you sort of was that a moment where you realized that or did you know you were doing that before or
1: I think I've always um,
0: like that's how you're processing the world
1: yeah I I, I deal with me and my thoughts through art and, and through finding some sort of way to, to translate it and, and maybe take myself out of it. Like, I'm kind of a, a weird female writer. I don't I don't write women. I write really crass dudes. A lot of people think I'm a guy. Um, and so I think I've, I find my voice in being able to, to put it through another mouthpiece.
0: Mm-hmm. So uh, did you, when the theater teacher told you, I think there's a show here, what were you thinking, like were you thinking, like did you realize you were processing that moment or?
1: Um, at, at first I wasn't happy about it because they, uh, they do this thing in the, in the art departments where they do juries and they tell you what you're going to do in the department or if you're going to stay in the department. And the talk was, you're not going to be an acting focused student anymore, you're going to be a writing focused student. And I was like, well, who are you to tell me what I'm going to do with my major and my scholarship? But I mean, they were they were right, <laughs> like they were absolutely right because it's it's what I I came to be the best at, and it's what I came to be able to use my my theater knowledge to to focus that in a better way. Like it was, it was weird, that's good though.
0: It's so I'm not going to let you off the hook on this. So, <laughs> like as a writer, um, I find myself it like I will. I carry the notebook, right? Like, mm-hmm. I carry the notebook all the time and, like, things happen and I'll write stuff down. I try not to have reactions because my reactions tend to be volatile. I, am, I get upset or I yell out loud, like, and the writing then allows me to actually sort of work through what it was that happened in my life and what it means and how all that. Did, did, do you find yourself doing that? like? Very
1: much. i I mean, there were...
0: Do you think that's why you got mad at them when they were saying you're going to be a writer? Like... Because you didn't want to process that yeah. stuff? Yeah.
1: I think that's a, a good way to put it. I did have, admittedly, a, a strained childhood. Like, going back to Grandma, she... Um, s- just something's wrong. She She's a very volatile person. Yeah. And um, I, had, I had a difficult and strict childhood. And I didn't rebel. I was always the good kid. And I never really was allowed to be emotional, mm-hmm. which was kind of an irony for me because why are you pushing me into an art where I am
0: if
1: I'm if I'm not allowed to cry (laughs) you know and so it was it was very strange like for for so young to be professionalized yeah and
0: and then do you think you said you write crass dudes right like so does (laughs) does that do you you see is that because that is the sort of like crass dudes are allowed to have all of those things right like we are told like you're,
1: you're allowed to, to say what you want to say as loudly as you want to say it with as many F-bombs, which is something I was not allowed to do as a kid. So, I mean, it was going on up here, but it wasn't coming out here. And so giving it a different face allows that to to come out of me right. without it having to come out of me.
0: Right. And <laughs> it, I think that's particularly, um, uh, I'm working on a book about baseball and softball, and so I've been interviewing lots of women that play softball, and all of them have said, all of them. Every one of them. At some point, they had a guy, when, like a dad or a brother, who when they were playing with them, didn't treat him like a girl. Like, yeah. if they missed the ball, they threw it harder and said, look, if you, if you want to play, instead of treating them like a girl, like, oh, I don't want you to get hurt. And they've said, having that space to be who I was is the most important thing that's ever happened to me. <laughs> Do you look back on that moment of like saying, hey, the thing that's in your head that came out this 10 minutes is a thing. Yeah. Is that... Do you sort of see that as transformative, or was that just a moment along the way for you? It
1: was it was absolutely transformative because, be, basically, having the gun held to your head of like finish it, finish it for right. for a grade. And by
0: the way, you don't get to do the other thing, so yeah.
1: So so do it. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, it, it it took me from mediocre actress trying to make my grades to I found something that I excel at, and I didn't have to. It sounds bad to say, but I don't, I don't have to to try. It comes it it comes out that way. Yeah. And and so it was it was incredibly empowering because I I kind of hate when people say like oh you're a female writer so you have to write a hundred different issues of the vagina right. monologues or you right. probably love that show or you you send your stuff into Diva Fest because your plays must be about women issues right. why don't you write for more women I'm like because I don't want to just because I'm a girl doesn't right. mean the, that's really intrinsic right. to my soul experience as right. a human being. Right. Like I I write what I want to write. Right. And if it happens to be a man or a woman character, it, it doesn't matter.
0: Well, and this is sort of the internet this was, as I'm working on this book about the, the baseball and softball, like this is, I know it as a guy, right? Like that it's, I get to do whatever I want. Like that's just sort of been my experience, <laughs> right? Like that's sort of the privilege of being, you know, a white dude in America <laughs> today. And so but we've entered this very interesting time in our culture where like 20 years ago feminism would have said write it for Diva Fest because mm-hmm. that's a place you have to carve out that place because it doesn't exist anywhere else. And we're not there yet, but they but you can now yeah. not go to Diva Fest and still be a woman writer and not have to have a discussion about what does it yeah. mean? Like I don't actually care what it means to be a woman writer. Like I'm interested in how do you process through stuff on the page? And I think we're just in a very interesting spot in our culture where that's becoming more of a thing. Yeah. is that does that seem to be fair with your experience or is that or is there still that so. push well, to sort of
1: I, I think there's there's more outlets and less censorship. Mm-hmm. Like you you can have an anomaly of personas online. you can you can hide easier. so I think that standards are getting, more blurred yeah which is which is great for writers but it's also kind of a handicap because like what isn't out there I mean it's right. kind of hard to to come up with new things and so it does force you to process you because yeah. I mean that's really that's the only intellectual property you own right
0: <laughs> right and it's I guess that's my point is that it's it is, I think it's an interesting cultural time like we're at one of those sort of inflection points where you can write you. And it doesn't matter who the you is. Mm -hmm. Like, you don't, you don't have to, um, because there are so many outlets, sort of filter it through what people want. So, Les and I were speaking, and he was talking about all the times that he went to school or whatever and, like, got sort of rejected because he's a short black guy (laughs) who's writing and coming at it from that, and he doesn't look like what they want. And that has done nothing to slow him down. No. Right? In fact, it's forced him to write and create his own stuff Mm -hmm. and been very successful with that so as you're you you are in college you wrote, what was the name of the piece gallery because you clearly remember you yes. still have it uh, well, it was my
1: first indie friend show was it I, and I, I wrote a sequel to it in 2013 it's there's actually three parts of it now it's a three-part play
0: so this thing that you didn't want to <laughs> do has now it's, turned into like a sprawling epic.
1: It's, it's my I call it my Harry Potter cause <laughs> I just if I don't kill them, they're going to keep talking. Yeah. You know, it's one of those, so... Yeah,
0: is it before sunset, before sunrise, like, Ethan Hall, like every 10 years, <laughs> yeah. we're going to revisit these artists and yeah. where they are. So, what was the reception like when you wrote it? Like, when you were... Forget that. What was your reception, like, when you finished it and looked at it? Like, what did you think when you were done?
1: It didn't feel like it was done. Yeah. And it did start to become, like, my my all-consuming monster, like, I couldn't put it down.
0: Is that when you realized they were right?
1: Yeah. <laughs> I was like, if I can't stop doing this, then maybe I shouldn't.
0: <laughs> did you feel, so this, I was, this is the, um, I, one of the reasons I hated studying literature in college was, what does the rose mean? Fucking, they just needed a flower, so yeah. they put a rose. So, like, what what did you say in it? Like What was the thing that you think that made it so easy to write? Because right? clearly there was something mm-hmm. that eventually when you look back you're like, oh shit, this is...
1: My, my anger with the art department is my my professor and I had very different philosophies about what makes a good piece of art. I, I think that a passionate piece of art is much more interesting than a technical piece of art. Mm-hmm. And she is a very technical person. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm a cartoonist. I'm I'm not a technical artist. Like I can't sit down and paint a still life and have it be perfect. And I wasn't that student. So the, the two artists in my play, one is representatory of technique and one is representatory of passion. The, the passionate artist is incredibly poor and make and buy on his paintings and he's happy. Whereas the technical artist is doing all right, is an art professor, but he's miserable because he can't find what's passionate. Um, and he's so miserable to the point where he, he falls in love with the passionate artist, and they don't become actualized or, or good at what they do until they're together. So like what I was trying to say is technique and passion literally need to be in love for for good art to thrive because mm-hmm. they were two halves that needed to be a whole. And that that was just a a really easy argument for me to make because like everything I just wanted to yell at that art professor, I got to yell through him and, and write monologues for it. And it was <laughs> real fun. <laughs> and you get to control it too, yeah. right? Like you get oh, to, Oh, so the best part about being a writer. You give birth to brain babies. Right. Like you and, make people up. And, cool.
0: and you revise the history that happened to you. Yeah. Right. Uh, I interviewed Angela Jackson Brown. Uh, she's a African American Writer, she, did, she teaches at Ball State, um, and she wrote a book called Drinking from a Bitter Cup, which is <laughs> about growing up. She had a very rough childhood in Alabama, and the book is heartbreaking in so many ways. Um, but she said, like, it, I took the things that happened to me, and I took control of them. And so it's, mm-hmm. it's fiction, and it's heartbreaking, and terrible things happen, but she gets to end it the way in her head it should have ended and not mm-hmm. the way it did end. Uh, and I just thought that, I was a writer, I'm like, yeah, that's what we do, right? We, <laughs> we, we take the world that sucks and we either make it suck worse mm-hmm. with a meaning <laughs> or we fix it. Yeah. So you write that and then it gets performed. Do you perform it?
1: No. Um, my, my college actually did it as a reading workshop
0: mm-hmm.
1: and then we did it at Indie Fringe and I uh, my assistant directed it but my fiance at the time was the director because I I didn't want it in my hands because like the, the world was so real in my head sure. that I, I wasn't sure if I could if I could actually translate it to, to be a play like maybe it was just like the words I wrote down right um, but then of course I found that my favorite part of being a playwright specifically that kind of writer is to kind of release it and give it give it that life so I I'm having fun putting new people to my characters
0: did you what was the response
1: it was the the best reviewed and best-selling thing that I've ever done and it it was kind of strange because I my whole career now I've been trying to kind of I guess recapture that first that first bit of glory there because people really liked it it resonated with artists and it worked really well at fringe because I think everybody has had that teacher that was just like, I want to scream at you. Yeah. And yeah, it was, it was a really good response.
0: And what as that happened? And you watched the thing that you made turn into that. I'm assuming you were there opening night. Oh yeah. (laughs) So what was the feeling after the fear and horror of like,
1: (laughs) I mean, I'm, I'm still, still doing it. Yeah. So it was a really good feeling. It it was incredibly validating because it, you're you're in a room of people that really is, as the playwright you're controlling their emotions reactions and, and experience there like the, the play doesn't begin until it exists right So it was it was a really great feeling because I, I felt like I was effectively communicating. I, I have a hard time communicating in person yeah. And so it's, it's, it's nice to be able to effectively do it at, at, at a large scale yeah. with a lot of people in the room with one thing.
0: Did you find yourself watching the actors or the audience?
1: The audience. <laughs> I mean,
0: I've seen, power, the actors, they're powerful right. actors, but right. I'd seen them
1: every day in rehearsal. Right. Um, and so, yeah, that is the fun part for me is, is checking in with, with everyone else who's there. Cause Did that's. A huge part of theater too.
0: And did you find like, okay, here's the moment where I, this I need to, I want this to happen with them. Is yeah. that what you were looking for? Like am I getting the thing that I think?
1: Right. Yeah, that was that was exactly it, it is I I wanted to make sure that the sad parts people people were with us. Yeah. They were watching and, you know, they weren't checking their phones or checking their watches and
0: Did it feel so I'm gonna we're gonna go back to grandma and mom. So <laughs> You said that when you were younger, like you, there were things you wanted to say and ways you wanted to say them that you couldn't. Is that that validation? As you sort of see people experiencing the thing that you wanted them to hear, did you sort of say, like, this is the thing I've been looking for? Yes.
1: <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah. I, going back to grandma, I mean, we just, how to explain her? Um, she. Because my mother had me at such a young age um, and was a single mother, we lived with her, and and that had always been, I think, what kind of created the Amanda Wingfield because mm-hmm. it was we owed her, yeah, and and it was it was an abusive situation, and I was very I was very very stifled until I got to go away to college and I got to write and I, I found a way to communicate because. It was it was kind of abuse that I couldn't talk about. Sure. You know, it was it was the stuff that
0: like emotional. Yes. Yeah.
1: Um, you know, like
0: I say that not justin but like it was that was where it was. Like yes. you felt like your emotions weren't yours.
1: Absolutely. Um and and I wasn't allowed to talk about it. Like my my worst memory and maybe something that kind of sparked my writing is my school had like a little aftercare thing called banana splits where kids got together and they talked to other kids and I had had a particularly like bad bout and I talked about it and the counselor right after was like you might need to go into some therapy something sounds not great at home and how old were you I was not <laughs> um, so after that school of course contacts home and uh,
0: that's fun that
1: that wasn't great yeah. and so i i was told i was never to go back to the place where i could talk to people and and really it was just like one of those things where i, I never i never really learned to talk to people because it wasn't allowed so being able to write it down i was learning to talk to people and right. learning to forge relationships learning to make friends and it it's sad but it didn't happen for me until late in life yeah. in college
0: it, uh, I mean, it is sad, but it is also not uncommon, I think, yeah, with artists. Like, it very is, true. <laughs> because it is, I think, the difference between people that use art and the people that don't are artists, you have to have something to say. And I'm, it's not the stigma of, like, you have to be a tortured artist. But, like, pain tends to bring out the desire to say something. Whereas happiness... You're pretty yeah. happy. Yeah, like, I don't, what do you got to say about that? Yeah, like, it's going well. <laughs> yeah, like, everything's great. Like, thanks for coming. Yeah. Uh, and so, really boring show. yeah. It, uh, uh, so I think that that is, like, not an uncommon thing, uh, at least in the conversations that I have. And, you know, it, I think that that relationship between sort of navigating what it meant to be a kid. so much comes out of at least the writing that I do. Like just trying to understand why I felt the way I felt. Like where did the Mm -hmm. anger come by? I had an, if you looked, I had a very idyllic childhood. Like mom and dad loved me. They were around. Um, But I had anger, which is crazy. But it wasn't like we were Appalachian hillbilly people. Um, So it wasn't (laughs) like we lived in, you know, New York City. But I just find myself processing through that in my writing repeatedly. No matter what I'm writing about, that idea always comes out like, what does it mean to have a sense of self when the world tells you something different? Yeah. Like, that's everything that I've ever written is that. Like, yeah. I, haven't, I haven't written anything else <laughs> other than that. So you do the thing. You do the reading. Um, you, it's produced at the fringe. And then that has to be freeing, right? It has to be, like, oh, shit. Yeah. Like, the thing that I want to say, people want to hear. Mm-hmm.
1: People, people saw it. People liked it. And they... You know, they they asked for more. It was, well, what are you guys going to do next year?
0: Did you start thinking about what you had to say instead of just writing? You know what I mean? Like, did you start right. to say, like, I need to be also, the next one needs to say this? Or did you just sort of say...
1: I I, did, I got a, I got kind of pressured to always do that. Because, I mean, that is, it, it tends to be one of my more... It's, it's a comedy, but it's still, it's it's more dramatic and it's more of a comedy with a heart. Yeah, It's definitely got more of a moral than some of my other stuff I wrote. So I, I felt pressure to always be writing this this poignant commentary on what art means to me. And I can't do that every time. Right. I mean, like, I I find, I, I tend to take sad things and traumatic things and make them into jokes and make them into uncomfortable jokes. Okay. So, like... <laughs> I write a lot of things that, at, at the surface, they don't seem like they mean anything. And I think that when I, I altered my voice as a writer, people were kind of jarred by that, because the first one was was much more overtly poignant emotional, whereas now I'm writing shows about cocaine getting stuck in tortilla chips again. Right. And, and it's just because I, I want to be able to to write jokes and, and and have happy thoughts and channel it that way.
0: Yeah, so do you feel, so when you sit down to write now, do you think character first or do you think theme first?
1: I can't write at all unless I have a character. It's very much about creating the character and creating the person. And I, I say I just let them talk and tell me where they want to go. Mm-hmm. Um, there are certain shows that I have sat down um, and this is what I want to say with this show. Like I, I wrote a piece called uh, The Ripple Effect that the, the whole cast, it's a, a homeless bum, a teenage runaway, a pimp, a stripper, a drag queen. They're all misfits, and I just I wanted it to be a, a story about anti-stereotype, um, and so that one was something I did set out with the theme, and I kind of worked the characters to that. Um,
0: how was that? How was that process different? Like, did you find that harder to do?
1: Yeah, I I'm, and I'm still working on that one. We we did the show uh, last year, and I, I, and I, you're still working, I'm, on I'm it. still working on it. Like, <laughs> I just don't feel like I don't feel like it works yet, um, and I think it's because I, I am trying so hard for it it to mean something that maybe with the plots of the show and the characters just isn't there because yeah. I didn't let them guide the action yeah. And so I don't I don't know if that's really like how I how I write well. It's almost a, a schizophrenic experiment. Yeah. It's like letting me go and letting the characters talk. yeah. And, and when I think about it too much, I ruin it. Yeah <laughs> it's you
0: know it's, it's it's interesting to me because yeah, like I do nonfiction so but it's I always call them nonfiction novels like they are real ish. You know, okay. like it's real, like everything is mediated. So what we call nonfiction, what we call fiction, are really,
1: yeah. I always
0: tell my students, it's the same thing. Like, there's no, like, ask a cop what's the least effective way to tell what happened. And he'll tell you, ask somebody who was there to tell you what they saw. Because mm-hmm. we mediate and see the thing that we want to see, which is what we do in fiction, right? Like you mediate <laughs> the way you want to see it. And so somebody will describe an event And then you go back and look at a video tape of it. And it will look nothing like the person. But we just call this nonfiction because somebody said they saw it. Yeah. Right? So, like, at the end of the day, those things tend to not be as real as we think they are. Um, But I just find myself, when I try to say something, it's fucking terrible. Yeah. (laughs) It's just terrible. Like, there's... you take I take myself too seriously. And then I start writing like an academic or, like, writing like people that I've mm-hmm. read instead of the sort of raw thing
1: yeah.
0: that people want to see, right? Like I, Part of the reason we started The Collective, and you mentioned this in your first piece, was there's enough polished art.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: If I want to see polished art, that's...
1: Go to the IMA. It's all right there.
0: Billions of dollars, <laughs> right? Like billions of dollars yeah. are given to that stuff around the country every year. Um, I like shit that's broken.
1: Yep. <laughs> That's like what
0: art is to me, right? Yeah. Like that is, this is a beautiful art product. Art is like, oh, that kind of worked and then like this was good and that didn't and like, yeah. <laughs> because then you have to process through it yourself mm-hmm. as an audience. If it's given to me as a completed thing,
1: there's no work.
0: <laughs> yeah. I'm sort of seeing the completed thing. Yeah. Um, whereas the kind of broken thing you have to ask yourself like why and what does that mean mm-hmm. and like that was, right? like, and what
1: And what works about it and what doesn't work and yeah. why and like, the, the experience of analyzing the piece and having someone care enough to analyze right. your piece is is proof that you have something more than just a polished result. Right. Because if, if people are thinking about it and talking about it and asking you what it means, you've done something more than, I saw it, it was really
0: nice. Right. Right, which doesn't, <laughs> right? Like whenever people say like, oh, I read your book or whatever and it's great, I'm okay. like, yeah, I'm like, ah, okay. Yeah. Like
1: no, tell me what you really thought. Yeah. <laughs>
0: or and also like, why would you even bother telling me that? Like, yeah. I already know what it is. Like, and you tell. <laughs> this is the sort of asshole me. Like, you telling me what well, I don't care what you think about the book. I didn't write the book <laughs> to get a validation. Um, if there's oh, a thing care. you think about it, I'm interested in that. Mm-hmm. Um, otherwise, I just feel like you're my parents. I'm like, good yeah. job. Like, okay. That-
1: Cool, give me a sticker. <laughs> yeah, like, I love
0: you guys for saying that, but it doesn't mean anything to me. Yeah. Like, I write for other writers, and I don't really give a shit so much mm-hmm. about... Although I guess it's different with theater, right? Because you're trying to communicate out a yeah, thing. And, like I was you actually want that to...
1: about to say that, because I was like, you know, it's interesting. Like, in novel work, it is a little bit more solitary. You, you write, and then it, it goes into publication, or it goes into the hands of your reader and other writers. With... Theater, you're going to a director, you're going to actors, and it is it is a trickle down. Right. Like your your work is instantaneously interpreted and it might not be interpreted exactly how right. it is. I mean the actor is not gonna sound exactly like the voice in your head. It might not look like the voice in your head. So I mean that's that's kind of the interesting loss of control I like yeah. about theater writing. Because I I've tried to, to write a narrative I've tried to write a book. I, I can't. Yeah. I can't do it. I don't have the focus for it. I, I just want to write down a quick okay. dialogue and yeah. have other people interpret that.
0: Have you had anybody interpret it differently than what you, like, because, right, because there's really three. There's you, there's the director, and then the motivations that the actors have, right? Yeah. And so, and then even the interactions that they have together may not. So how hard is it to see, like, I am trying to communicate this thing that may be mediated in multiple ways? Yeah. yeah.
1: I I kind of love that. <laughs> um, with my, my one I'm still working on, uh, the character I wrote that was the homeless guy, I've always pictured him, because he, he's based off of a good friend of mine, I've pictured him as a big, fat, white dude with a long beard, and, and he, he looks like a classic bohemian hobo.
0: Sounds like Santa um, Claus. Yeah, pretty much. <laughs>
1: um, and, and then I have a... Gorgeous, model, tall, statuesque, black man who is 23, get cast.
0: As the homeless guy. As
1: the homeless guy. And it worked. Yeah. Like, he, bring, he brought a different energy that I didn't think would fit my type of language. And and he was much more slam poetry-like. And, and it gave new life. And it, it actually opened up something where it's like, you know what? The show didn't work because the character I wrote was kind of a cliché. And what this guy did with it forced me to to kind of change it for him and and make it better. It so was, you were
0: rewriting with him mm-hmm. as he was sort of doing it. So let me ask: had what, what do you, did or has your grandma and mom said about your stuff?
1: Um, <laughs> they don't like that I use so much language. Um, they. They don't like that I've kind of abandoned the uh, the Catholicism. I I do tend to have disparaging things to say about religion, but the the biggest shock is they still come and they still try because I think in seeing my work and and recognizing that a lot of stuff that I was saying and a lot of issues that played out on stage were issues that were in my life. It's it's almost. Their their attendance has almost been the apology I needed. Yeah. If that makes sense. It is. You, it's it's been a healing thing. Like I honestly I don't know if I'd still be talking to my family without theater.
0: Do you think they get it? As much as they can get it?
1: As much as they can. And and that's that's a that's a really good way to it. I mean like it. you're I mean,
0: heard, right? Like you're heard yeah. at least in the way that they can hear you.
1: Yeah, and, and that's that's I mean, as good can, as they can do. Right.
0: <laughs> I, I, was t- I was talking to a friend of mine whose dad was very hard on her when she was young one day. And I said, the problem that you have is you want your dad to love him the way, love you the way you want to. Mm-hmm. Instead of understanding that's the only way he knows how to. Yeah. And so if you can translate that and not forgive him, but understand mm-hmm. in the package he's got, that's as much as he can give.
1: I think that actually brought me to, to kind of forgiveness and acceptance. Because like when I was younger, I didn't. I didn't understand yeah. why this was the way
0: cuz you're a that kid it was. right and
1: yeah. and like looking back on it I was like yeah the situation wasn't great but that that was as good as as they can do right and and you know she's she's a mentally ill woman and she loved me the best way that right. she could and that allowed me to kind of wrap my mind around it that it it wasn't a lack of love and it wasn't that I wasn't good enough or I wasn't doing enough to get the love it was that that was it that was the thing yeah (laughs) and and, yeah
0: it's it really is that like as a kid like you internalize all of that stuff as you are not my I was a baseball player when I was a kid and my dad was really hard on me which I appreciate now but he said I realized that what you heard every time I yelled at you was you're not good enough to be my Mm -hmm. son for which I never really processed it that way but I'm like well that could be why I was angry yeah (laughs) like (laughs) like whenever somebody comes at me for a failure that I have my response is the anger that I didn't have as a kid yeah and I'm like oh shit so I gotta stop that because that's actually not what you meant (laughs) and if I'm mad I should go talk to my dad about that Mm -hmm. (laughs) instead of working it out on the world (laughs) dad and I (laughs) working it out together right like everything is like fuck (laughs) off like so it's um I find that that uh, in terms of writing like that it's interesting because i just hear this a lot right like had it not but not that specific thing but like if it wasn't for theater i wouldn't be talking to them because it becomes your voice of communication when you sat in college did and they told you the writing thing do you think that you could have predicted that like that was the vehicle like well, you were mad at them that day they told you like do you think they even knew like do you think they knew this is how you needed to communicate
1: I think so because the professor in question that I um, I had the conversation with, he he gathered a lot of of my past and because I, I struggled to put myself through college mm-hmm. and it's not because my family doesn't have money it's because they didn't like where I chose to go to college because it was it was only two hours away but it was still two hours yeah. away where was would, it uh, Hanover like, oh right right, right. Um, and so he he could tell like. Some, some of the failings in my acting are, are because of how I am. Like, I, I can't look people in the eyes when I talk to them. It's just a twitch I have. And I'm not a confident speaker. And so that was my failing as an actor. But it wasn't um, it, it wasn't apparent in my writing because you don't have a hard time collecting your thoughts, when, or I don't, when I right. sit down to write them. A lot of times I would rather just not have a conversation and write all my answers to you. Right. You know, because that's, it's just easier for me to communicate. So I think they pinpointed that. Like, clearly, you need to do theater because this is what you love, it's what keeps you happy in here. But you need to approach it from a, a way that you can be the most effective. Yeah. Which for me is definitely writing.
0: Well, and they may have seen that you have, like, you have something to say. Like, voice is really hard. You can't teach voice. Mm-hmm. Like you just can't like you either have something to say or you don't like, I don't like I've tried for 11 years to teach kids how to like have a thing to say. And like, some kids just roll in and they're like, yep. Like, (laughs) fuck it. This is what I'm going to tell you. And other kids are like, well, what do you, what do you mean? Yeah. And I'm like, I don't know the answer to that question because I don't know what not to write. (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) I'm going to die long before the things that I want (laughs) to say are done being said and evident and done in a way. (laughs) So, uh, we got time for about one more thing and, th- and then I'm going to let you go. So yeah. what do you think, like considering where you are now, like when you look, what's next with the writing? Like, do you continue, like, are you going to do the friend circuit? Like, or do you, like, what's the goal? I would
1: love to do a circuit, but the, my stuff doesn't really work to travel. Um, because like, I write big casts. Like I had six people on stage, eight in the cast for this one. You, You can't. On a writing budget, on a right. theater budget, like you just can't travel a show that big. Um, I actually, my, my my next is I want to start publishing my plays so that not just my friends can do them. I, I want to see other interpretation of my work and further away interpretation of my work. And I want people to be able to read the plays because I think sitting down to read a play, it's a different experience than seeing it in performance. And a lot of my stuff doesn't read well, so I, I kind of want to learn to quote Peter Schaffer rehearsing the play is putting um putting the word into flesh and publishing it is the reverse I I, I want to do the reverse so that I can get the technical skill
0: hmm so you've come full circle to the technical <laughs> yeah. from the passion
1: <laughs> I know is that what
0: I just heard I, I think so <laughs> uh so where do you want to publish them
1: um I want to do a volume of of my three plays my my triptych and I I don't know. I think maybe self publishing, mm-hmm. which I know it's like, oh, anybody can do that, uh, which you know, kind of frowned on in the writing community. But
0: it's actually, we just published our first book. I, the Geeky Press. Part of what we do is I put we put out a call. We got seventy five submissions from around the world for a book called Bad Jobs and Bullshit, <laughs> and it's it's fiction, nonfiction, and poetry about bad jobs and bullshit. Um, and we publish it, and it's for sale, and like it's edited and designed like it's really simple to do in a meaningful way you can do it poorly yeah but you can also do it well so i'm happy to help you with like that's part of what we do (laughs) Um, because it is like again like it's less and i were talking about this uh you get to control it like you make the decision you either put it in the machine and then you lose control but you get the stuff or you control it you do it yourself, and maybe you have less of the machine behind you. Yeah. Um, I, we don't care about the machine. We, we're we control freaks. Yeah. Um,
1: I don't, yeah, I, that, that was my whole thing, is I don't want to go into the machine of it. But I'm, I'm not the kind of rider that, like, has to hold it down, yeah. and, and I can't release the baby. It's yeah. not like, oh, my baby. I, I just want to make sure it's in the right hand. Right, and a lot of times those running the machines are not the right hands no.
0: And, no and they'll start like when I'm doing this Appalachia book I, I, I raised my own Kickstarter and I told people because I don't want there to be mountains and a stream on the cover like every Appalachian oh, book God. has a banjo, a mountain, or a stream in it, and I'm like, that's the opposite of what this book yeah. is about. And I know some marketing person is yeah. going to be like, you know what you need? Nice. Yeah, like you need this
1: postcard, right?
0: And we're going to put a little moonshine jug there, and Ooh. like, you know, like you can yeah. just see what the. If I say Appalachia, you're like, I know what that book cover is yep. going to look like. And I was like, I'm not. I don't give a shit if hundred people see it. It's going to mm-hmm. look the way I want mm-hmm. it to look. Um, Well, listen, thank you for coming in. I know it's been a busy week. Uh, This has been great. Um, And I hope that since you're around, we can actually see each other more. Yeah. Thank you. So there it was. That was my conversation with Casey Ross. Uh, the joy of recording at Indie Reads Books is that people just wander around with and look at books, which fits nicely into what we're doing. But when you hear a child in the background like that, we did not bring that to the podcast room. Um, they just showed up where we were recording. Uh, you can hear all of the podcasts if you're listening to this on iTunes or somewhere else. You can go to thegeekypress.com. You will find all of our podcasts there. Uh, we host monthly events in Indianapolis. We host quarterly and yearly uh, retreats as well. We have reading series. So if you're a writer coming through the greater Indianapolis area, you should go to the go to contact and send us a note because we host things all the time. We also have a new book called bad jobs and bullshit, which is an anthology. We put out a call. We got about 75 submissions from around the world. We chose the best 20 to 25 fiction, nonfiction, and poetry poems and put them into a book about bad jobs and bullshit. It is now available on Kindle and Amazon and in print, uh, Barnes and Noble in print, um, lots of different places. You can go to thegeekypress.com backslash books and you will find that out. I'm also working on a new project called Faithfully. Um, it's a letter writing campaign. That's why I've asked people to write me letters about faith. Um, We'll be assembling those and publishing those in a book as well. That is the end of this downtown writer's jam podcast. We will put these up every few weeks um, as we go around the Midwest interviewing writers. Hope you come back. Hope you spread the word. And until next time, I will talk to you later and have a great day.